Welcome back, folks, to episode 60 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Big 6-0, man. Pretty pretty sweet digit to hit. Do we get to retire now? Is that the <laughs> collect pension, maybe? Yeah. I was waiting for the big contracts to come flying in off the shelf now. Totally. Um, no, 60 is pretty cool. Uh, just want to do a quick thanks to everybody that's, that's tuning in and supporting us and, and listening and stuff. This is pretty sweet. We're still here. Yeah. And today on the uh, the podcast, we got a little uh, Canadian uh, game call company. Steve Smith from Smith Game Call is going to be joining us. But before we get into that, we know this episode is dropping a couple days later than we normally drop them. And uh, that's because we just got out of elk camp. And uh, we, we've been uh, hunting pretty hard all season. We're not going to get into it on the intro here. No spoilers, man. And we'll do a bit of a wrap-up episode for you guys. We got some some pretty cool stories to tell. Uh, but besides that, what have you been up to, Tristan? Well, um, thinking about the hunting season, I, A, just ecstatic that hunting season is uh, upon us. Um, but B, um, was blessed with uh, my young Finn there, August 31st, 4.21 a.m., and uh, he came in nice and healthy, so we're everyone's excited. Family's all doing well, so that's great. Um, and obviously, that means having to adjust your time outdoors and how you you get outdoors. Um, being a family man, though, that's that's just a whole new level. Uh, that's something that would be hard to even put into words in the intro of a podcast. So I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> but Chase, you know how it is, so I'm sure you do. Yeah. The the thing I'm We'll talk about those. I was lucky enough to get out on a on a few hunts, so I did sit in that tree stand there twice, looking for for deer. And it's it's uh you know you know where the stand is. You've helped hung, or you hung it. I'm guessing the way it was hung. Yeah, it's kind of on this. Like I'll describe it for the folks listening. It's kind of in this like bush line between two fields, like a really thick bush line, right? Yeah. So you're talking like a lower oak area between the field and then there's like a uh the, the stand itself is kind of set up in like a meadow nice little meadow and yeah it's a really great spot yeah and then and then it's uh a larger bush area and then surrounded by uh, ag land obviously. yeah and so we had oats on the one side there i'm not sure what's on the other but i was thinking like brilliant trefoils in the one side oh trefoil yeah. okay okay that's making more sense because I thought you said oats initially, and I was like, that doesn't look like oats, but I'll take Chase's word for it. Oh, that other stands in the oats. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay, that's, okay, so this, this story's going to make a little more sense then. <laughs> Not that anything really interesting happened in the stand, uh, but what I am going to say is like, when we're looking at pictures, I was hunting it as an evening stand, because assuming wildlife, or like the deer are going to be coming out to the field in the evening, mm-hmm. but they're actually feeding in that meadow in the morning right so the 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 two well as soon as i pulled the card and saw what was happening so i sat the evening there as soon as i pulled the card and saw what was happening i was like oh crap time to set it in the morning so i i did get out there for a morning set got busted by by a doe but that was about it hmm. it's interesting it, it's it's kind of weird a weird season to to be in there too not weird but i feel like whitetails although you can pattern them at times still can be very unpredictable so it's it's hard to say that maybe 
a buck that you've seen in the morning might not could possibly still show up in the evening you know what i mean oh totally like obviously spending time in the stand just as long as the wind's good and you're not going to be exposing yourself is beneficial to any extent that that being said though uh looking at the the majority of the deer activity occurring in that stand it was happening kind of in that like yeah either like right at dusk or all the way up to like about 10 a.m yeah there there was some afternoon activity but not a lot so if with the limited time that I do have now, I'm going to invest it in yeah, you gotta, that probability there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to lay the bets on the the best odds, right? Yeah. What you got. And then uh, you did a little bit of waterfowling too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I got out with a good friend there, Tim. And that was kind of funny the, the way it rolled out. So uh, Tim is like a outfitter class kind of waterfowl hunter, we'll say. And... I was chilling at family dinner with Carly and Finn, our little guy there, and uh, I get a text at like, I think it was like one thirty or something like that at, from Tim saying, hey, you want to go on a hunt this evening? Or you want to go hunt? He doesn't even say when. I was like, uh, okay, when? He says, oh, this evening. I'm like, <laughs> oh, what time do you need me there? He says, three. I'm like, oh, boy. So I'm already like trying to explain kind of to the family. I ask, can I go on this hunt? Carly says, yeah, yeah. She, when do you need to be out of here? Well. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> didn't say that though. I said, yeah, need to be out of here in 20 minutes. Well, that didn't happen. But anyways, we got out. I got home. I actually had to pick all the tomatoes or half the tomatoes because the frost was coming that night. Oh, man. So I was like, just, we were picking and covering tomato plants at like rapid speed with a newborn outside. And then, so I got out to the field late for Tim there. I think I got out around like 4.45 or something like that. And he was already setting up decoys. So I just parked my truck on the road and hightailed it in with my blind bag. I think I was dropped, I dropped a couple uh, bars out the back of my blind bag. I had to turn around and (laughs) pick them up. (laughs) But I hightailed it in the field. We got set up. Tim's got a fantastic setup, and we were in this uh, really great grain field just near Clannaboy. And the uh, we had this, I scared about probably 300, 400 geese off the field that were already there because I was like, man, we're going to be battling these geese the whole time. Oh, wow. So we got set up real well, and we're all roughed in in the layout blinds. Tim's got all kinds of different decoys out there you know is spread he's got the mm-hmm. full bodies he's got those higdens ones that you put on the stick the yeah. stake and they shake and uh he was, was was he running any silhouettes yeah yeah and he had some silhouettes out too nice. so he's got a real like diversity of decoys running which is interesting but it's also like we even put out some duck silhouettes and it's just like so efficient because you're just like ramming stakes into the ground and that's yeah. it and you can carry like 10 of them at a time and he was running his dog there, Thor. So it was just a great evening to be out shooting. So even before the birds started coming in, I was just sitting out there enjoying my life. It was a nice kind of like just the right amount of breeze, overcast. And uh got to sit and just like chat with Tim for a while after a few, about a week of, you know what? Actually, it's only a couple of days, about half a week of not getting any sleep. Yeah. And just reflect on kind of how that went how being a father harvest knowing that you're now harvesting meat for someone 
other than, you know, yourself or, mm -hmm. you know, people who have already been in the world for quite a while. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And so the birds, the bird, the geese came in great. We got, I think we got seven mallards on top of that and a black duck. Nice. Dog worked great. It was like just a fantastic hunt all the way around. And I know we've talked before kind of on the show here about whenever there's been those big moments in our life where we, immediately after, like within that time frame, we've gone on like these hunts, these formative hunts or something that just like kind of bring you back to grounding. It, it like it like grounds you, right? Right. It's like um, maybe a big change happened. And one of them was uh, previously I talked about, I like broken up with an ex or something like that. And we went on that shitty canoe hunt yeah. out in that, that marsh with like howling wind and getting splashed and waves just to shoot, you know, some, <laughs> some <laughs> greasy diver, some greasy diver. <laughs> but you know, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like it brings you back to center, but it also like reminds you of what your values are and how, where you're going to be and how are you going to, in this case, how you want to raise a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. just extremely helpful, extremely blessed feeling. Just really lucky to, you know, get out on that perfect day, shoot a limited geese, get some ducks in there. And Tim got this just fantastic black duck. I, I don't think I've seen a duck look that perfect in some yeah, ways. Looked, it, was, it was gorgeous bird. Oh my God. Stunning. So yeah. I, no, I just posted that one on our story, but yeah, I was going to say, I should have posted it on the main page for people to reference, but like what a, what a great black duck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, I've been lacking in the, uh, the hunting field here lately uh haven't gone out for whitetail or waterfowl yet so it's kind of disappointing things are pretty busy around our household with both the boys and and uh and um work and stuff so um in the next coming weeks here i think things will be slowing down for us and i'll try and be trying to hit the hit the field in the woods a little bit harder but usually about every once a week i try and take the boys out to do something outdoors so um chicken season's opened up or upland season's opened up so i'm uh i'm thinking maybe a little trip to the woods with the 22 to search for some chickens is in store because the boys love love getting out there and wandering around and we always have a good time out there so i might do that and then they can just drop around the bush and, and uh burn some energy off yeah, I think chicken hunting is going to be a new kind of, or I shouldn't say new, but there's going to be more time invested in that style of hunting coming up than uh, than maybe some of the other styles. It's just a little bit more accessible in some ways, and mm -hmm. uh, you still get to get a lot of those benefits of being outside, maybe even doing a little walking, which isn't always the case with some of the other styles of hunting, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I guess on to our next topic here. Uh, let's talk about some of the new stock that we have in the store right now while we got well i'm wearing the uh one of the goose shirts here and uh i i i don't know if you noticed but i haven't taken it off in a couple days <laughs> yeah i've been busy in that thing i'm pretty oh, sure man. you had it on an elk camp I, I did i did but it's just so comfortable and i want to get as many wears on it before well i don't know i just it's at that super comfy stage right now yeah and uh I'm really happy with the fit too. So, yeah, they're nice looking, and they're seem like they're quality a quality piece. 
and uh, we got them in dawn and red so if you guys are interested in that go to our store panoramicoutdoors.com check them out also brand new in our store today uh so this will be i guess yesterday brand new in the store yesterday uh we have some toques in stock so we have um like our flagship style toques in camouflage for those cold days when you're in the woods blaze orange when you're in your gun season and want to be seen and we have our uh black flagship toque also that you can wear pretty much anywhere so check them out we do have limited stock on those so uh get them while they're hot pretty much yeah we wanted to get those in before christmas season obviously uh i think some folks use those as christmas gifts but also there was there we had in the past a lot of requests for kind of like hunting style headwear i'd found Mm -hmm. so hopefully if you're if you're interested in getting one of those pieces if you want to rep panoramic when you're in the field i would recommend either getting on those blaze orange hats or those toques or the camel hats whatever pretty pretty quick here because uh the ordering processes have been longer than usual that kind of stuff for us you know getting gear back in we're, we've been fortunate that we were able to plan efficiently to get those toques in it well before christmas season I yeah can say. yeah you definitely won't go cold with those toques man they're one warm piece of headwear too and the other thing that actually uh, kept me super warm in elk camp and saved my butt a few times out there is uh those buffs the moose necks yeah the moose necks um couple of chilly mornings man on the ride on the quad i would have froze my butt if i didn't have that it sure adds like as much as like it's just this little piece of cloth man it sure adds it's almost like adding another layer sometimes because it just gets that breeze off your neck it can hide you in the woods you can put on your ears to keep your ears warm you know it's a nice nice addition that really doesn't take up a lot of extra room if you don't want to wear it oh totally and like the I know it's not a mosquito net, but it also did a better job of keeping the bugs off me than just nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the the mosquitoes got pretty bad there one night, and I just like cozied up in that, put my hood up, and they were still buzzing, but like at least I wasn't getting bit at nearly the rate that I was getting bit before. Nice. And it's I the way I use it too. It's kind of like the final stage of camouflage for for my outfit. So if if I was in tight on something and I needed to be pretty covert we'll say like that that moose neck would be right up over my kind of nose and everything and yeah yeah like knock the glare down knock just maximize your camouflage yeah exactly yeah Yeah. basically eyes exposed at that point in time yeah (laughs) yeah that's cool how about let's let's hop over to um well you know what i i want to tell you a story too kind of about the the tree stand hunting there that we were doing okay and Sheldon was giving me a bit, a bit of a hard time about it, but I, I want to, to get your thoughts on it because I had pulled those gorp peanuts into my pack and was doing a little snacking on those. And Sheldon's like, yeah, I love the peanuts, but it was just funny to see them in the tree stand. But, like, I mean, they're I, – I had some of them. Not only are they tasty, but, like, they actually, like, get rid of your hunger a bit. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, they, they're a really efficient way to get some protein in you and – quell some of that hunger yeah the the peanuts are good because it's like that entertainment snack too right you can like you can just have a couple if you're just feeling like ah, i just want to like entertain my senses a little bit have a yeah. couple peanuts or if you're hungry it's actually something that'll like stifle that hunger 
know what I mean? Totally. And I, I was using a couple of the Gorp bars too on the, uh, on the waterfowl hunts that I've been on. And I found that they are like, a, it's like this interesting style of bar where it's typically like your granola, you know, your typical granola bar is kind of sweet and I'm not sure like what kind of nutrition you're getting on it. Like the Gorp bar actually, when you eat it, not only does it taste good, but it, like it actually feels like you're getting some nutrients in you. Whereas like, I can't say I always get that out of like maybe the uh, extra fruits brand. Yeah. Granola bar. Man, I, I pumped a granola bar in me or one of the Gorp bars in me before, like after uh, a long day hunting and I was just, I was just bagged and, um, had one of those and is like i noticed like a legitimate difference in my energy levels and like my mental energy levels too so which was really cool yeah sat down for a minute had a smash of water had a gorp barn away you go you know you're right back in it so that's cool um so if you want to order some gorp bars guys Check out gorpworld.com and use the promo code panoramic20 for 20% off all your orders. Or just go to their website, check them out, and they have uh, multiple options in stores all around Manitoba. And I didn't notice know this till a few weeks ago. So check out their website. They have a bunch of stuff on there. Not only do they have bars, they have uh, like oatmeal, like breakfast mixes kind of thing. You can buy the they'll sell you the ingredients for the protein bars or the energy bars so you can make them yourself and make them to whatever size you want and uh, they have the peanuts on there so that's gorpworld.com check them out and uh man the the other thing that's kind of been an mvp in our in our uh fuel energy game i guess you can say is uh the pit barrel cooker Oh, yeah. So do you want to hop into what's on the tap, what's on the grill, what's on the turntable? Let's do it. Yep. Do you want to start with the grill then, obviously? We can start with the grill. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to talk about a past thing right now because I'm super excited what I'm about to throw on there because nothing has been disappointing coming off that pit barrel yet. Yeah, we say that every episode. Yeah. So so right now I have this massive like uh, wild hog roast that's... that's uh, in the brine i'm gonna let sit for nice 24 hours approximately maybe a little bit over and then i'm going to try and smoke it for about eight hours so it's super fatty and it's it's almost like a, a shoulder rib roast and i have never seen one like that before so i'm super interested to see what actually comes out of the smoker but um really looking forward to that what about you that sounds awesome man I hope I get to try a piece of that. So for me, we're kind of in the middle of harvest season right now, which means that the garden's coming out as well. That means we're harvesting like the, the main crops that we've been harvesting, tomatoes and peppers. Do a lot of salsa around here. The the one thing that I like to do to punch up my salsa a little bit is to, to smoke those peppers and even the onion and the garlic before they go into the mix. Mm-hmm. So I've been using the smoker quite regularly to to make sure that we're getting that extra flavor in the salsa, that it has that depth and that it has almost just like that smoky heat to it. And we've been doing it for years now and ain't nobody complained about. The only complaint I get about my salsa is that it's too spicy. <laughs> she does have some heat. 
She's got a little kick. Yeah. But yeah, no. And uh, the pit barrel, i just been great for cooking on, as you identified there, Chase. And um, something that it's just, it's almost fun to think about what you can cook on it next, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I got some a bunch of things like scheming to to go in there like i'm going to fire up like some scalloped potatoes i'm going to do some like cowboy style baked beans in there oh man and maybe like a chili or something i'm I'm kind of pumped up just to see how much that steps up the and flavor like, in those april's been killing it on the pit barrel too like you you see that like kuba style ukrainian yeah. casserole that she's yeah. cooked. like i could only imagine how good that'd be oh man she's she's been yeah I think she's been using it more than we have. I know. So <laughs> if you're not giving April a follow and you want to know how to use that pit barrel, make sure you're following her on Instagram there. Yeah, for April sure. April Dawn Willis. Um, if you guys are interested in picking up a pit barrel, uh, check them out at pitbarrelcooker.com. Uh, they do have some locations on there that uh, you can buy them in Manitoba or in Canada, wherever you're listening. Or you can buy them direct from the website too. So check them out at pitbarrelcooker.com and they have uh, everything you need there. They have all kinds of accessories too. And if you do pick one up, make sure you let us know. Keep us in the loop. I want to see what you're cooking on it. I know Chase does too. Yeah. One thing that, that's become very useful actually and I've used quite a few times for hanging ribs is that uh, um, the hinged grate on there. Totally. And it allows you to cook like four or five racks of ribs plus like your side yeah. beside it, which is super cool. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's what was on the grill. What's been on the turntable these days? Man, it, it's super weird. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, how how we, we've met people through these conversations that we're having and just people through Instagram and all this stuff. And uh, I ended up meeting this guy, we're talking and he was interested in buying a piece of clothing off off of us and uh so he actually came down to my house to pick it up and and uh, we're talking and i just kind of did a bit of searching on him and he's a musician and we had a few mutual friends and acquaintances so um his name is quinn blair and i've been uh had have had his stuff playing quite a bit we had playing elk camp there and uh local manitoba fellow just that like down home country music kind of feel and steel guitar and some of the songs which you all know i'm a huge fan of (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so if you guys are interested in that kind of those kind of tunes man check out quentin blair super good music yeah he had a really great sound I, i i was really enjoying it when he had him on in camp there and he just was really adding to the I think I was having a discussion about the the ambiance of camp and how yeah how important that is. So thanks for tuning me into him there. Definitely be checking in on him out more. And you were saying too, he he's running horses, so he's like legit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a rodeo dude, so he's uh, kind of the the real deal, right? Yeah, this country is tested and true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wicked. I've been listening to I've, I've I've listened to them before, but I started downloading a little bit more of the music there. The the Steel Drivers. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you haven't heard them, they're kind of like this mix between like I would call it like maybe hard country or rock country in bluegrass, and they just got just this really 
I don't like authentic sound. It seems like it, not too many other bands are, I don't think are doing that, but it, uh, it's kind of interesting. Maybe Blackberry Smoke is another one that I can think of that has kind of that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love the way that they've kind of put this, maybe not a different twist, but the, whatever they come up with sounds great. So I've been happy listening to them as well. Nice. And then finally, if we turn our attention to the tap. What's on the tap? Man, I didn't really think about this one before we got into it, but uh, hmm, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm always thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Friday yet? So we've uh, we've started tapping into the old moose head a little bit more. And yeah. I've had it before, and it's it's been good, but... I think, I can't remember, I think it was Tim again. He tossed me Moosehead the other day, cracked it, it was cold, super, super crisp. I was like, huh, it made me like turn my head again. <laughs> so three cases later. <laughs> Still buying it, eh? Yeah. No kidding. Hasn't, hasn't gone bad. So wow. It's been, uh, it's been good. And they got a moose on it. Yeah. So that, that lines up perfect with our, with our logo. Totally. Yeah. Great minds. Um, I'm going to go back to, um, a, a little bit different road here, but, uh, I bought a bottle of gin for camp and every, uh, kind of, I was wondering who brought gin into camp pre, pre supper kind of drink. I'd have, uh, a gin Caesar. And if you haven't had gin Caesar, you're missing out because it adds like a, a different like layer of flavor to that. So that's my, what's on the tap. You can tell we're serious because we have pre-supper drinks around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, you sit down with supper, you, everyone's cooking or whatever, and you you just pour a drink and relax, you know? Yeah, no. It tell, take, tell the tales of the day and kind of thing, so. Yeah, it, know, take, it takes a little time to get was. supper rolling camp, but we're not going to talk about camp, so. Yeah. We'll save that for another episode. But for the episode that we are at. at Number 60 here, Steve Smith Game Calls. Um, listen in, he talks about, uh, his journey into the, the game call world. And also if you don't know Steve and don't follow him on Instagram, check him out. Huge elk hunter, some great elk hunting tips in this episode. And, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy it. All right, guys. Well, uh, we're sitting down today here with, uh, Steve Smith from Smith Game Calls. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's I know we're encroaching on uh, elk season here, and uh, I believe your your season's opening up a week sooner than ours. And so uh, I'm at, I imagine there's a a lot of prep work in hand right now. And uh, just want to say thanks for taking the time out to sit down and have a chat with us. Hey, no worries at all. Um, so. You're over in uh, Grand Prairie, Alberta right now, is that correct? Yeah, northern Alberta here. Right on. And uh, so we also have Sheldon joining us here, and he's coming in from Brandon. We're uh, doing this one remote again. And uh, you want to fire up the five burning questions, Sheldon? Yeah, you bet, man. Uh, Yeah, it kind of sucks that we can't all be sitting beside each other around the table uh, sharing a beverage or whatever else. This damn COVID thing can probably go away anytime soon, but... Steve, what we do is we kind of do a five-burning question, try to get to know the guests a little bit better before we get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Uh, I'm going to start off with, um, you know, 
if you had one last, this is my favorite question I ask it to everyone, but if you have one last meal, what would it be? You can you can throw in some detail and throw in the drink of choice <laughs> if you want to. Oh, that's a tough question. I I really love food, so uh, but hands down, it would come down to uh, an elk steak for sure. My wife actually makes it really good. She takes the back strap, butterflies it, fills it with cream cheese, wraps it in bacon, and smokes it. So oh, that wow. uh, that would be my last meal. Well, that sounds awesome. That sounds what would you pair it with for a drink? Some some red wine, some water. What, what would you do? I do like uh, Canadian Gibsons. <laughs> a nice, there you go. <laughs> nice, nice backstrap and Canadian whiskey. Nice whiskey yeah. man, right on. Chase just perked up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, second question: Dogs or cats? What's your favorite? Uh, you own a dog? I used to say I, I do own a couple dogs. I, I would say dogs. I don't like cats at all, but uh, I also got two shithead dogs, so. My answer might not even be dogs right now either. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Um, well, my third question was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you if you like beer, hard stuff, but I think I already know the answer to that. Um, if you had one more concert to go to uh, before you took off on this world, who would you go and see? Um, concert. Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't think I I would go to a concert. I've never been to a concert before. They've never interested me. I'll just uh, turn the radio on. Yeah, right on. Um, my fourth question, uh, if you are, you know, hitting the woods um, and you're sitting in stands or doing whatever you're doing, what what are some of the things, like, you, you take into your arsenal when it comes to uh, food or beverages? I know for me, I like taking, like, canola bars and, and you know, some water, et cetera. But what's in your pack when it comes to food, food and drinks? Um, Depending on where I'm going, if I'm in the mountains, I'll just bring an empty bottle with me. There's enough creeks we can snag some water from. But for meals, I like high-protein, high-fat uh, foods. I kind of stay away from the carbs a little bit. But protein bars, and I've always got a bag of M&Ms as well, beef jerky, you name it. And anything that's really calorie-dense to help you keep going. High-energy yeah, stuff. Sure. My last question for the five rapid burning questions, whatever you want to call them, is that if you had one rifle to continue on with your life with to do your hunting and fishing, or not fishing, I guess. <laughs> well, if you did fishing with a rifle, that'd be crazy. But uh, just to do for, for your hunting, like what's what's the all-around good rifle in, in your opinion? I'm the worst person to ask for that. I'm not a uh, big rifle guy, but I do have a Seiko 270 short mag. Um it's been a really good gun for me. It's kind of all around, not too big, not too little. It uh, it works well with with wolves, and it's uh, taken down elk as well. So, never shot a moose with it. That's a that's right a on. solid uh, solid all around rifle. I know uh, Tristan's yeah. pretty pretty uh, pop. Uh, that's a pretty popular round, I'll say for uh, for Tristan. He he talks pretty highly yeah. about that. Yeah, my wife just bought me a. Uh, a 6.5 Creedmoor Hills Canyon. It uh, It's still sitting in the box, though. I haven't actually used it. It's got no glass on it yet. That's a Browning, right? Yes, it is. Nice. I've never owned a Browning before. <laughs> so what you're saying is is your wife cooks you sweet meals and then buys you sweet guns? <laughs> you should hold yeah. on to her. I know, right? She's she's uh, Hopefully she'll listen to this one. She'll see that I'm bragging about her. <laughs> Get me some Browning points, maybe another gun. Nice. What uh, What are you shooting for a bow? I shoot an Elite Option 6. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I uh, So far, I really like it. I did the, uh, the blindfold test to try and try and uh, get a feel for each of the bows without letting brands get in the way. And 
the elite bows are just they, they've been what what does it for me so nice um I, I can't say i've ever shot an elite but uh i certainly uh tested out a bunch of bows before i made my most recent purchase and that's that's definitely the way to do it uh, buddy of mine just recently got into elite and he's uh he loves it too so and he's uh he used to be a like a archery uh comp- competition dude pretty heavy into it oh, okay and so speaks quite highly of that uh that brand i'd say too yeah it's been pretty good my wife shoots a hoyt she's all about the hoyt so i gotta receive it from her all the time as well <laughs> <laughs> what do you running for broadheads when you're out chasing around uh i'm assuming you're the the game you prefer to chase is elk judging by your your instagram lately the majority of my elk hunting i've always actually just used a hundred grain kind of whatever last year i used black widow broadheads the uh, previous year i've been using those uh, g5 montex this year i switched to the valkyrie archery system and that 300 grain uh four blades so that's, that's three, uh, 300 the, grain yeah it'd be a 300 grain setup my good so was that with like your, with like a insert and stuff like that yeah, I think the broadhead itself is 260 grains, I believe, or 200 grain. I can't remember which one I got. I haven't uh, used them yet this week. We're going to be putting them to the test and getting our bows set up. My goodness, that's a that's a heavy heavy arrow to be flinging down. But uh, I, I know a lot <laughs> of guys are, are going to that really uh, weight-forward setup. and, and uh, With a higher FOC setups yeah. there. The, yeah. yeah, and it's supposed but to be really the, good for penetration. I've uh, I've actually never had a problem with 100 grain either. Most guys will use 125. The ones I've always used is 100 grain just because it's easier to switch over from your 100 grain field tips. They shoot uh, a little more similar to your target tips. I've always just used 100 grain and they've been perfectly okay for me. Well, that's good news for me because uh, I'm still shooting 100 grains and uh, nothing wrong with them. No, I. Uh, Sheldon and I were on a moose hunt a few years ago and actually had a full pass through on the moose at about 60 yards with uh, some muzzies. So um, I have a hard time kind of swaying away from that. I mean, um, do you find you get many pass throughs on uh, on elk or anything like that with uh, 100 grains or have you found the the performance on those? I would say 60 to 70% of the time it's been a pass through for me with 100 grains. That's super impressive. Anywhere between 10 yards and 60 yards, it's uh, yeah, they they pass through. I don't know if I'm just hitting them in the right spot or getting lucky. A lot of them seem to be pass throughs. What kind of draw length are you dealing with? Uh, 29 and three quarter, and I shoot at 70 pounds. Oh yeah, so you got some good horsepower behind that arrow for sure. Yeah, they're moving. Nice. Um, so. I kind of want to get into like how Smith Game Calls got started, but I, I'd like to also kind of hear a little bit about your background and how you got into the the uh, into the outdoors and uh, how a little bit about that journey. Were you were you brought up in the outdoors by uh, say your a father or uncle or grandfather kind of thing, or how did you get into it? Yeah, so hunting's always been pretty big in my family. Uh, my grandfather was a big hunter. I, I hunted a lot with him. That's kind of what uh, piqued my interest and what got me into it. And, yeah, kind of similar to everybody else, just through the family. Nice. And what did you guys grow up pursuing? Was it, uh, I know, like, 
most people mainly like whitetail or grouse or something like that um how were what was the the main pursuit uh in your family it'd be mostly moose and elk but as soon as i could get a hunting license i pursued whitetails i hunted them for a long time i was never any good at it as soon as i started uh learning how to elk call and getting into elk hunting that really took over for me so talking about like when you're starting out hunting um I mean, for me, like, there's, like, an oh, shit moment where I was, like, man, I love the outdoors. And it, and it actually happened to be when I was when I was fishing um, with, with my father and, and my uncle. And I'm, like, man, I really love the outdoors. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but was there, like, that oh, shit moment when you're, like, man, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be, you know, focusing in on maybe some career goals, et cetera. But um, what, did you ever find that feeling? And when you did, when, when was that? You know what, I can't say I would recognize when that would have happened. I'm assuming it did happen, but it would have been a long time ago. Yeah, for sure. Growing up hunting elk and moose, I got to say, is, is is quite a large entrance to the outdoor world. Like um, like I said earlier, most guys, you know, start out with small game and then, and then work their way up. Um, were you elk and moose hunting were you doing like fly-ins backcountry hunts with uh with your family or what kind of hunts were were those like what was that, no, what most, would be that that makeup of that hunt um i wouldn't even call them too backcountry like it was all on crown land but a couple hours from the city drive in and go for a couple kilometer hike and do some calling that's that's about as far into it as we got growing up nice nice and uh did you grow up in that uh, Alberta area too? Yes, I did. Yeah, so chasing big game out there. Right on. And uh, so were you guys mainly archery hunters growing up too, or were you guys, like, were your family kind of trying to put no, meat on the family, table with a rifle? They were, uh, they were rifle hunters. You can, get a, um, you can get your hunting license at, I think, 12 years old. Is that correct? Or I don't know if it's different to Manitoba. You could get your hunting license at 12 years old here, and I think I can't remember if it was 12 for a bow permit as well. So I just picked up a bow permit when I was 12, bought a cheap little Canadian tire bow, and that's where I got into it. No way. No. Do you remember what brand that bow was? Oh no, I, you, I don't think you're legally allowed to shoot a deer with it, but it did its number <laughs> on chickens. <laughs> so did you actually arrow any any whitetail with that thing? No, 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 God, no. I don't even know if I I uh, tried. How old were you when but, you, say, harvested your first whitetail with the bow? Uh, I think my first whitetail, I'm about 16 years old. Nice. And what kind of bow were you running then? Do you remember? Remember? I had a high country. Oh, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people are shooting those back in the day. I actually still have it. It's one of the old... Only old bows I've kept. Most of the bows are bows I've retired. I've I've sold and given away. But that that old high country, I've still got that one kicking around. I actually pulled it out of the case here a few weeks ago. Take a look at it, and it's hard to believe people actually used to use those. They work just fine, but bows have also come a long ways to what you're getting today now. Yeah, the evolution of bows is pretty wild, and and like uh, I mean, you still got have guys that are um shooting obviously traditional bows and we just had uh one of our buddies there um uh shane butnari on the podcast and he's he's running a self bow that's 
I mean, completely carved out of one piece of wood, which is super oh, cool. Yeah. But, uh, and then I, I feel almost awkward sitting over here with like a brand new Matthews and you got all kinds <laughs> of moving parts on them and sights and, and, uh, yeah. adds a lot of variables to the game, but, uh, they're, they're getting fancy. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, yeah. let's dive into that, that, uh, first deer story. Do you want to tell us about that? Like, how was that experience? I know, I know the first deer I arrowed was kind of like, uh, a pretty invigorating moment even though it was it was just a doe so yeah it was i mean it was exciting for sure there was it wasn't a very big deer by no means but after maybe four years of sitting in stands and learning and thinking you're doing everything right it was uh finally to see it all come together was definitely a special moment but not much of a story other than moving tree stands over and over and over and over again, thinking you know where the deer are, never seeing anything, and finally it just, I don't know if it was luck or it all just came together finally, but... Yeah, yeah, a little bit of both. you got to be a little bit lucky yeah. to be successful in the woods, I'm, I'm certain. I'm still having a tough time with tree stands and whitetails. It's uh, kudos to the guys that can do it and do it successfully. That's uh, That's a tough hunt. Yeah. Are you hunting uh, ag land for the whitetails, or are you in, like, uh, the big bush country? No, I'll hunt the ag land. Um, I usually set up about a kilometer, half a kilometer to a kilometer in the in the trees on the main trails. It's still, they, they walk past the cameras all day, every day, go in there, sit down, and don't see anything for three or four days straight. That's <laughs> how, my, my, how my whitetail hunting goes. Oh, man. Well, if it's any... Uh any um comfort i i've recently kind of been getting into the the ag land hunting uh we kind of grew up in the big bush hunting hunting there and uh i certainly haven't had any luck on the ag land yet had a could have shot a, a small buck but uh nothing nothing worthwhile to, to chase after so it's certainly a learning curve for me yeah well, i'll say it people might hate me for it but you just can't beat driving around in a truck in november it's warmer you got your coffee your music <laughs> you never end up shooting anything but at least you're seeing stuff yeah you can definitely cover a lot of ground <laughs> yeah, I that, that's northern alberta too though not, they, they, there's so many people that just drive around yeah yeah the road warriors we call them in manitoba yeah um i hate them in september but i might be one of them in november yeah we did uh we did a hunt in saskatchewan like that about 12 years ago up by Carrot River there, and we, uh, up there is a little different than here. You can shoot right off the shoulder of the highway, and that's, we pretty much just had the 100-kilometer-hour tree stand for the entire trip. Oh, wow. Um, so that was, that was pretty interesting. It was different. Uh, so then you're, like, how did Smith Game Calls get started, and what, what drove you to start making game calls, and, like, what was the first game call you made? Um, so I've always been really big into elk hunting and once once I got into the calling aspect of it that took over for me. I tried hundreds of different types and brands and sizes and a lot of them, some worked good, some didn't. I found a few I liked and so I'd stock up on them and every other one wouldn't sound like the previous one. I ended up just getting frustrated and we decided we're gonna go ahead and start making our own and try and become that that better brand, try and make a more consistent elk call and do our best to make the best elk call available to the market. And in my opinion, we've done that. 
um, our calls are very consistent and that's kind of what we aim to do so that when I buy more than one of a call I like I know it's gonna sound just like that last one nice nice and as uh, for becoming a, a brand that uh, that actually wasn't planned we were just gonna make calls for ourselves and it went from us to our local community to kind of the northern part of the province uh, next thing you know we're across the province and then we're across Western Canada now uh, now we're actually across the country and even into the United States now too so nice that's awesome that's uh, it's certainly pretty cool to, to watch the company grow like that. And it seems like lots of the folks that we uh, chat with in the outdoor industry, that's kind of how their their uh, their intro goes. They kind of like just start doing it because they're having fun with it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's exploded and everybody's jumping on it. So very cool. I had a question there for you, Steve. Like, uh yeah. Just kind of getting into the the elk hunting world myself and calling and stuff. Uh, I know you know you did say like the inconsistency in calls. Like, what are some of those like main factors that you're looking at? Like, what were the some of the main um, deficiencies? I guess that, that you thought in your mind of from call to call. Like, what what are some things that we should be looking for? Um, you know what? You wouldn't be able to see it on the call or in the package before buying it. But if you ever found a call that fits you right and it sounds good and it just works good for you. So you go back to the store and you buy three or four more of those and you pull one out of the package and then the tone's a little bit different, the pitch is a little bit different, or you just can't get that clean bugle you could out of that last one. Even though it's the same model, it's just uh, the latex could be different or stretched different or it could have a different tension or back pressure on it. So. Okay, right on. So then with your calls, you like what do you... Like so, what, when you started building your calls and you started doing it for yourself and for your family and friends or whatever, like what was something that you were looking at that would have been different? Was it was it the size of them? Like was it fit in your mouth perfectly? Like what were you? What was your target there? Um, so to make our calls more consistent, we use uh, three or four different size latexes, and we can go from a single, double, or triple read with them. Um, so we measure them down to the thousandth of a millimeter for their thickness and we go to a thousandth of a millimeter for their stretch and we only have one call builder in the company and so they, they're they all built by the same person and they're all built the exact same. So if I make uh, say a locator diaphragm, I'll use the uh, exact same tension and same thickness of latex I used on the previous one and because it's me doing it, I uh, kind of make it the exact same over and over and over and over again we make hundreds of them and they all come out the exact same so are you the call builder oh, in the company i am yeah well I, I do the the latex side of it and we got my wife she'll kind of do the taping and cutting and packaging nice but as for the kind of the the latex side of it like this the stretching and the tension and the cramping and stuff that uh that i'll i'll, I'll do them all Nice. Keeps me busy. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know they're they weren't uh, on the shelves long at uh, Harvester Outdoors there in, in Selkirk, which is uh, one of the places that that carries your brand there. And uh, Sean had told me that yeah, I think we've uh, sent calls to them a couple times now. So good, they're selling, they're restocking there. So yeah, yeah. Sean had told me you guys were he was getting some in from you guys right away, and I I think. He got them on like a Monday, and I went there on the Friday, and it was all out. So I, I was back the next Monday when he said they were getting them. So uh, I got my hands on a few, which is That's pretty good. sweet. People seem to like them too, and we uh, 
make our call a little different than everybody else. I don't know if you've seen the two different calls they'll carry there. They've got the, kind of that traditional cloth style tape and then we've also got the armor tape as well which is 100% waterproof. It's thinner, it fits better. Uh, so I don't know which one you, you guys have tried but I picked up the, it's a lot different than... Yeah, I picked up the armor tapes and uh, they're pretty sweet, man. It feels like I don't know the the like the old style tape calls just feel like after you have them so long in your mouth they just almost get like soggy and soft and and uh, almost waterlogged and the armor tapes just feel like they're I guess yeah you true 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 you to can your, just wipe them off and put them away too they won't mold on you or nothing so. yeah like true to your your company they just feel like they're they're gonna stay more consistent as opposed to the oh, the tape sure. right. Yeah, they've been a pretty big hit so far. We just came out with them uh, about six six or eight months ago. So they're just hitting the shelves for the first uh, hunting season now, and we can't keep up with the demand. People love them. That's awesome. What uh, are you guys, is Smith Game Calls all you do? Or, like, how did you, what's your, what was your profession before this? Or uh, I actually do quite a bit. Smith Game Calls is uh, is my bread and butter, but I also have a job in the oil and gas industry. We run a uh, a clothing company as well, so we do the vinyl and printing for a few other brands. We do the make the clothes and ship them out. And I don't know what else my wife does. She's always got something on the go. Nice. Jack. She's she going to hate me for forgetting, but <laughs> we've got a few stuff going on. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, you probably don't get uh, if you get bored of one thing, you're you got something else on the docket that can keep you busy and keep you interested, right? For sure, yeah. We're we're always busy year round, so that's awesome. Um, so it sounds like uh, you've been talking, and it sounds like elk's kind of your favorite animal to to pursue, and uh, you have a, a plethora, I'll say, of uh, of calls that you put out. And uh, I'm assuming that you you uh, chase after uh, more than just uh, elk. Is there uh, a close second to elk that you like to get after? Um, maybe coyote. I do enjoy coyote hunting. I don't know if it's just because it's another one of those calling aspects. Up in northern Alberta, uh, I would like to go mule deer hunting. We can't hunt deer, uh, mule deer in northern Alberta. It's like... 11 or 12 years to get the draw but spot and stock mule deer hunting's always been we used to be able to do it up here and i really enjoyed it but since you can't uh, just go out and do it every day i'd put coyote hunting is probably a second for me so you do a lot of coyote hunting elk hunting your smith game calls like you do you have like i like sorry i'm just trying to figure it out on my own too is like do you have quite a few coyote calls as well that's uh, available for for sale yeah, we've got a handful of coyote calls, uh, turkey calls, and deer calls as well. Oh, nice. So, like, so initially you started out with elk calls, clearly, right? Yes. And then, so, so how long did it take before you're like, oh man, I could totally make these other calls? Uh, we stuck it out with just elk calls for maybe three years, four years, and we just started with the turkey, predator, and deer calls two years ago now. All right on, and then the I mean, there's they're all diaphragm calls. Or are you doing like different types of types of calls as well? No, we've got different calls. We've got uh, handheld, bite and blow, open read and close street calls. All right on. 
Yeah, it's a pretty nice selection you have there. And uh, I mean, I believe your stuff is all available on your website too, right? So if, if anyone listening to the podcast wants to go and, and order some up, if they can't find some in their local game store, your uh, your stock is available online. Is that correct? Yeah, you can find everything on our website, which is just smithgamecalls.ca. And uh, if it's not in your stores, just go bug them. I'm sure they, they've heard of us, and I'm sure they'll order from <laughs> us. You just yeah. got to get the bug in their ear. Yeah, yeah. Tell them to get some of them in. <laughs> um, so I guess, is this just lack of numbers that you can't hunt mule deer up north there? Curious about that. Yeah, I never did dig into it too much. Like, there, there's a ton up here. Um, not not what they're used to be. Yeah, they just put it on draw about eight years ago now. And yeah, I think uh, I put it, my draws on a priority 10, and I still didn't get it this year. So Wow. I'm assuming it's 11. Hopefully next year. <laughs> That's wild. And the, the elk tags you're going after, those are all general over-the-counter kind of thing? Or is that a draw system yeah. too? For most of the province, like the northern part of the province, uh, rifle season opens up on September 16th, September 17th, sorry. And you can get an over-the-counter elk tag right in the middle of the rut with the rifle. So it's a pretty popular area for for the rifle guys. So, yeah, it's all over-the-counter. But once rifle season opens, I usually start heading heading south into the, the bow zone so I don't keep running into too many guys. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's a popular area to be in. Are you, uh, when you're chasing after elk, are you going up into the mountains or are you going uh, hunting them along the ag land there or what's your what's your strategy or where's your, where's your area? Oh, man. I chase them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I do uh, a lot of farmland, a lot of crown land, and we'll, we'll chase them in the mountains too, kind of. Whatever spots do in the best. I I try to stay away from farmland because I don't like having those those boundaries. It's tough to get permission in a lot like in a widespread area. So elk like to move, and if you're kind of confined to one, two, or three quarters of land, then as soon as the elk steps off that, your hunt is over. So I I do like to keep it in in areas where I'm not so confined. Right. Right. Well, since we are encroaching on uh, elk season here, it might be fitting that we just uh, dive into a few tips for uh, for the elk hunt. Um, I'm curious because we've we've spent most of our time uh, hunting elk during the rut in in the in the woods, uh, the bigger bush. But there's certainly some some uh, ag land opportunities in some of the areas that we that we go to. Um, do you? run pretty much the same tactics when you're ch- chasing after the elk uh between like uh say the mountains and and uh the agland or is it are things pretty much the same there not i, I kind of keep the tactics pretty much the same um going from agland to to mountains but definitely be willing to change up your tactics even from hour to hour like elk are such a complicated animal to hunt what works yesterday might not work tomorrow you just always have to be ready to switch things up. Yeah. So, what's uh, is there any like dead giveaways that that you can think of to to that you could share with uh with our listeners here that to kind of this is what you're looking for and or and this is kind of what you want to watch out for in the woods when you're when you're say you're getting into the elk and and uh, you want to get after them like what's 
what do you try first and and how do you adjust your strategy accordingly okay well in order to hunt elk you got to find them first sometimes they can be tricky to find i can almost uh bet if you if you know where there's some peas and uh, a lot of crown land or just a lot of bush area around you can almost bet there's going to be elk there and i'd say a lot of new elk hunters will struggle with uh not being aggressive enough uh, a lot of hunters are very passive or quiet or or they're they're moving from whitetail hunting into into elk hunting and they'll kind of take those same hunting tactics with them where elk hunting you can move around more you can make more noise you can like I, I like to use a lot of bull sounds. I don't cow call all that much. I'll go in making bull sounds, and I'm really aggressive, and I kind of hunt that way, and that's that's what works for me. So yeah, a lot of guys are just uh, too passive, and they slowly learn they can start hunting a little more aggressive with them, and, and it yeah. seems to do the trick. Yeah, that was kind of our our uh, error too when we first started out, and we didn't really know what uh, what to expect and what how. The animals actually react but uh the aggressive approach has certainly gotten us more encounters with uh with animals out there um for sure how do you do you ever like uh are there ever moments where you're like okay maybe i won't just push this elk so much or like is there anything any red flags there to say okay maybe i should back off a bit um I like to keep pushing. <laughs> yeah, just push him, and then um, if he's not interested, off to the next yeah, one kind of thing. It, well, it kind of depends on the area you're hunting. If I'm hunting a lot of farmland and I've I've got to stick to boundaries, then then I maybe wouldn't suggest pushing them so hard. Uh, it depends on the elk too. I know herd bulls, kind of the bigger bull in the herd that's controlling the cows. Them, I like to push really hard because. They won't actually leave their herd to come to your calls. Very rarely would they anyways. And a lot of the herd bulls we've been on, it's uh, like we'll hunt them very aggressive and we'll keep pushing them miles and miles and miles and miles. And Sometimes we'll be on them right at sunrise and we'll just keep pushing them. They'll move a couple hundred yards at a time and they'll stay vocal with us and they'll get really aggressive, but they'll never actually come in until we push them for five, six hours straight. And Once it kind of clicks to them that they've either got to run you off or they, they don't have a choice but to come run you off, or they're not going to be able to bed down. That's that's where we've gotten on the, a lot of the bigger bulls, and it's just, you know, being aggressive and keep pushing. Wow, that's that's an, like, that's the first time I've I've heard that sort of tactic where, where you just, where you can get on a herd bull and, and just, like, pursue them for five hours and, and just stay on them. That's, that's incredible, and that's quite a successful method for you guys, yeah. obviously. Yeah, that one we 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 do that a couple times a year, and it's it's uh, you got you you got to be willing to walk a long ways out. It I wouldn't say it works every time, but when it does work, you've got a long pack out ahead of you, and sometimes <laughs> it's a little aggravating. Three four hours goes by, and then they learn they can just shut up, and you won't know where they are. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. Well, I might have to try that one this fall too. So are you guys mainly when you hit the woods? Um, do you guys mainly target like the herd bulls? Are you pulling cow tags? Are you guys satisfied once in a while with arrowing a satellite bull or like, what's your, what's your objectives generally when you head out in the elk woods in the fall? Um, no, I don't just go after the herd bulls. I, I kind of stay away from the raghorns, but anything kind of five point 
or higher I'm okay with. I, you know, if you're going to be picky, you're going to go home empty-handed, and if you're going to be picky, you're going to have a, your whole season, you might not get anything. So if you're happy with it on the last day of hunting season, you should be happy with it on the first. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that one, that's for sure. That's. Uh... I don't know whose quote that is. That's not mine. <laughs> I think it's been said a few times on the podcast and I think a lot of times even like hunting whitetail I kind of that saying kind of goes through my head a few times but um, but yeah it's actually a pretty good saying and it keeps it kind of uh, straight and narrow that's for sure yeah yeah that's wild um, so coming up to uh, elk season here besides uh, shooting your bow um do you have any like uh, calling routines that you try and practice, or like how do you prepare? And how would you, what would you say to like uh, a new caller getting into it to prepare for elk season? Um, for calling, I would say don't worry about how realistic you sound. It's kind of more what you say, not how you say it. So in the elk language, they've got all kinds of different calls. Mostly, it's uh, kind of to do with aggression so they they've got what's called a locator bugle which they use to talk to each other and pinpoint each other's location and it narrows right down into a challenge bugle which which is more of a fighting call and um yeah i would say don't worry about how realistic you sound but you know memorize what a locator bugle is and memorize what a challenge bugle is and use them at the right times right on and that should get to pretty close elk yeah, I'd say learning the language and learning what each call is, how it sounds and what it means is definitely key. Yeah. I know for me, um, I do quite a bit of practicing. Uh, just kind of in the evenings, I'll toss a read in and just kind of squawk around the yard if I'm shooting bow or whatever. Or if um, I really think that I need some practice, I'll toss one in in the, in the vehicle and, and uh, mess around it with mess around with it when I'm heading to work or coming home from work or wherever kind of thing. But uh, to be honest with you, the most comfortable I ever feel with a call is when it's like the heat of the moment and the action's flowing hot and like the bull's bugling and just like, it's almost like the call becomes part of my mouth and it's just, it's just working perfectly, sure. you know? And that, and that's the best time to practice too is when they're talking back and you can try and match their tempo and match their aggression. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's cool. And it always yeah, I don't know what what it is it always seems to work out the best for me there. I got a question for you Steve when it comes to the the calling part you just kind of mentioned it of uh, like matching aggression and stuff. How important is that when it comes to calling elk? Um I mean, in your opinion, you you may want to match it, but like, do you ever try to like become better or or you know become the bigger bull, let's say, by calling back and forth to try to get them to come? Like, or are you just trying to match them just to try to keep talking with them so you can try to locate them? Um, I wouldn't say it's good to try and sound like the bigger bull at times, anyways. Um, but you got to remember with with elk. There's generally a herd bull, X amount of cows, and there's going to be satellites in the area. So your elk calling, it's its not special, right? he He's going to hear these other bulls bugling to you. Yours isn't going to stand out to him. So instead of going out and making these elk sounds, you kind of got to paint a scenario or a scene for them to kind of imagine as well, right? 
So, for example, if you're uh, you're moving it on a herd and there's satellites in a bowl around, you could kind of paint that scenario that you're a smaller smaller bull that work that you're work your way in and maybe come off with a couple cows or make a couple cow calls so he thinks some of his cows are are a little too close to you and you can you can start bringing some herd bull bring the herd bull or some of the satellites towards you as opposed to just going out there and making elk sounds yeah and the other kind of second part of this question I know I'm a little bit more into moose hunting and uh, volume of, of my moose calls, let's just say. They do fluctuate, and I, and I do have different ideas and stuff when it comes to calling moose. Is that same same scenario kind of in elk hunting as well? Like, is your calls, like, different uh, frequent, let's not say frequency, but different volumes throughout maybe your calling sequence or throughout the day? I'm not sure I know what you mean. Like, uh, just the... Like, do you try to, like, have, like, a, like, do you ever try to do, like, a quieter, like, I'm not going to say, like, less aggressive, but just, like, a quieter call, like, as much as you can, like, maybe direct it into a different direction, um, you know, doing that thing so it might seem like you're you're not as close when you really are, like, are there those kind of tactics you're putting into your arsenal? For sure, yeah. I, uh, especially hunting alone, if you don't have a caller or uh, you're doing the calling and the shooting, you could turn your your uh, bugle tube the other direction or try and sound a little quieter. Sometimes they'll walk right by you thinking you're another hundred yards away. Um, so uh, how many years do you think you've been chasing elk for now? Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe <clears throat> pushing 15 now. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of years to, to learn elk in the woods for sure. Um, and... How many years you've been chasing them with the bow? All of, all those fifteen? Uh, pretty pretty much the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Right on. Uh, is there a most memorable hunt that kind of sticks out in your mind, or like a most memorable moment, like any sort of crazy elk encounter that uh, that you'd like to share? Um. Yes. It was actually this really cool one a couple of years ago. He wasn't the biggest bull. Um, I wasn't even the shooter. Sometimes I'll bring my bow with me just just in case, especially if I'm doing the calling. Sometimes that elk will actually come right around the shooter without them realizing it, and you're the one presented with the shot opportunity. Uh, my wife was hunting. We were in northern Alberta archery season. Uh, she hadn't killed a, a bull yet, and we had this this one coming in. He was really aggressive as well. And she's had this problem where she's, she plays it a little too passive as well. She doesn't like to get too aggressive. She's too she's worried she's going to ruin the hunt if she gets too aggressive. So she'll sometimes uh, put herself kind of too deep into the thick bushes to try and be unseen or something like that, right? And in this case, she did put herself in this kind of behind this really big willow bush. And... The elk was coming in, and it actually came to the same little bush she was on, and that was about 40 yards away from me. Mind you, she was seven months pregnant at the time, too. Ooh. And the uh, yeah, the bull started getting really aggressive and started raking on that same tree she was sitting on, and she was maybe two and a half yards away from it the whole time. And no kidding. It was a pretty adrenaline-pumping hunt. And uh, what ended up happening is he he started he come off that bush and kind of rounded rounded around towards me and I got a clean 30 yard shot on him and we were able to harvest him or kill him I guess and, but yeah it was kind of an exciting hunt I was a little envious of her it'd be kind of cool to sit there and watch a bull like that rake on the same willow tree you're trying to hide behind 
Man, I bet the adrenal- adrenaline levels were just through the roof at, on a moment like that. That's yeah. insane. Um, yeah, was, it, was, it was pretty neat. I was having a conversation with uh, my buddy of mine, Lewis, the other day. He sent me uh, some video footage of uh, somebody elk hunting, and this just monster bull comes within like two yards and of the of the hunter and i i just said like i had no idea what i would do in a situation like that because like those the animals are so massive and i mean you sit back and watch the video all day and be like oh that'd be awesome you know it just plunge an arrow right right into you don't know what it's like until you're there so a lot of people just freeze eh? oh yeah yeah it'd be it'd be uh interesting to see see what uh, most people do in that situation i know uh probably have to look for a fresh pair of shorts or something back at camp at the end of it (laughs) yeah they're they're, uh they're a big animal they don't they don't look at it at a distance when you're standing five ten yards away from them they they can be pretty big yeah intimidating even when you run your setups in the in the bush, are you uh, do you try and uh, get behind some cover when you're bringing an elk, or are you uh, standing out front, um, kind of in like a shooting lane? I would say, yeah, you do want some cover. Um, I would say it's more important to be beside a tree than behind a tree, and that's that's just being on the more aggressive side, like. It's more important to be still than hidden, right? They'll pick up on your movement. So if you can be really still, you can get really, really close. Um, a lot of people kind of tuck themselves in a little too far or rely on their shot opportunity as if the elk is going to pass by them, and they never actually do get that open or clean shot. So Yeah. I don't think about back just personally in a couple setups that I've been in, and I can't actually say that I've seen an elk, but just thinking about the setup and – you think back to it after, and you're like, man, I don't even know if I could have got yeah. a shot off in there if something came up. Well, a, a good example, last year, there was two two encounters we had, two different hunters with uh, pretty well the exact same encounters. Uh, one went home empty-handed, and one killed his first uh, archery bull. What happened is we got caught walking across a clearing, and we knew there was an elk on the other side. He wouldn't He wouldn't come out, so we decided to go in after him. And as soon as we got to this middle of this clearing, then they broke the trees on the other side, and we're standing right in the middle, no cover, a little hill, so we kind of dropped to our bellies and got behind this hill. And on the first encounter, this bull elk comes walking up pretty much to the the top of the hill about 30 yards away. And it was with uh, my wife, and we didn't do anything but sit there and stare at him 30 yards, and he, he was looking right at us. He ended up turning around, taking off. And fast forward a week, that same encounter happened with my brother. We had, I think, four minutes of legal light left, and that bull was standing right on the hill staring at us. So, you know, he literally just stood up, took three steps forward. As soon as the elk turned sideways, stopped him with a quick cow call, and uh, he had a clean 30-yard shot. No kidding. So that that elk, So, were, were you guys calling when you were coming across that opening too? Uh, we were calling beforehand. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. We just, he didn't feel comfortable coming out of the trees, so we went in after him, and as soon as we got right in the middle, just by chance, they come breaking out of the trees on the other side. So. That's wild. Never know what's going to happen out there, hey? No, never. We're kind of coming up to an hour here. Uh, Sheldon, do you have any more uh, stuff that you want to touch on? 
in the body of this? Yeah. No, like, uh, I think a lot of my questions, like I said, uh, kind of new to the elk hunting world. Some some of my questions might seem pretty rookie, but um, that's the, the purpose of doing podcasts, right, is to try to learn more and more on no matter what you're talking about. I guess the only other thing that I would want to touch on quickly, um, you, you know, we did talk a little bit about coyote hunting. Um, I mean, predator control is, is obviously a big issue on either side of the fence, but I'd still like to talk about it a little bit and just uh, maybe give me a couple of your tactics that you like to use while while trying to call them in. <laughs> I might not be the uh, the master of coyote hunting. I just go out there and make coyote noises because I enjoy shooting them. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my my expertise when it comes to coyote hunting is I, I'm a rookie myself. I, I have a lot of fun doing it, but I don't know if I could give anybody too much advice. Are you? Well, that's uh, a fair answer. Truthful answer is a fair answer. Yeah, I'll yeah. ask you a question here. Are you uh, when you go out coyote hunting? Are you you're mainly going out making coyote sounds? You said are are you not making like uh, uh, I guess um, prey so, sounds? Sorry, yeah. So I do go. I use distress distress calls. Okay. Um, I I don't use the electronic calls or or anything like that. I like to promote the stuff we have. We have uh, a handful of coyote experts that work for us and they're the ones who help design the calls uh i enjoy coyote hunting but i wouldn't uh put myself at that level to give anybody anybody <laughs> advice cool yeah uh, I, can, I can make make the calls work pretty good but i don't know if i'm making the right sounds nice so what's uh what's on the i guess this is a two-part question here to kind of kind of wrap things up for us What's on the, uh, do you guys have anything on the horizon for Smith game calls? Like, I know uh, you kind of said earlier when we're talking about the the course of the company and you didn't really expect things to go where they went, but uh, is there anything that you guys are working on or are you guys just kind of waiting to to see where the, where the path takes you next? Oh, we've got uh, big things coming out soon. Uh, we're always releasing new products every year right now. Um, I can't give away too many secrets, but one of the projects we're working on is a our external read or open read bugle tube. It's been a huge request. We've uh, we've been working on it for about three years now, and it should be coming out shortly. It might not be here this year or next year. I won't put anything on the shelves until it's until I believe it's the the best one on the market. So. We're perfecting a few things, but that's one of the projects we've been working on. We've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, and that's probably our, our main focus right now. That's awesome. That's uh, I mean, it's good to have that backing in the company, too, knowing that you're not just putting something out there just to have it out there. You're putting it out there to provide a quality product to, to, the, to the customers, right? Um, yeah, for sure. What's your, what's your go-to call in the, in the fall for, for chasing after elk? Um, I use a diaphragm style elk call, and out of my fleet, I like uh, the herd pull. It's going to be a very hard call to operate. Not a lot, uh, not a lot of people are going to be able to use that one. The tension and the latex thickness requires, uh, I'd say, someone who's been doing it a long time, I guess. Um, I do like to use uh, either the Lucky Seven or the Yellow Jacket diaphragm calls as well. As they are universal, you can make really soft cow calls and screeching bugles with them. And I'll pack some of those with me as well, just in case I need to pull a call out and be able to make that nice, crisp, uh, 
cow call without having to work a read in first. Nice. Okay, Steve, so shoot straight with me. I'm new to this. What kind of uh, call am I going to be buying here? What would you suggest? You're going to want to look at the yellow jacket with the armor tape and the pallet bridge. That's going to be our universal, more universal call. It's going to be the easier one to operate. And like I said, with that call, you can make nice soft cow calls as well as your any of your screeching bugles with them too. So. Yeah. Okay. And then my my second part of that question too is if I'm blowing this call for like whatever time frame, when do when does a guy know or when do you know to replace that call with say the exact same call or do they last for a long time? Um. No, they don't last forever. It depends on who's who's using them or how hard you are on them. I'll go through a call every two days, where I know some guys will make them last two years. Uh, the more bull sounds you make on them, the faster they're going to wear out. But as soon as a call starts to wear out, it's going to be a really, really good cow call. And you you can tell it starts to wear out when you're not able to hit that super high pitch note anymore. It'll kind of lose its its high end first. Huh. Right on. Interesting. I like the I like how that you can toss them into the uh, the multi use pile and once they're 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 kind of yeah. done with their their initial use they're yeah. they're good for something else too yeah like our herd bull call that one uh it's it's a great bull call but i mean you you can't pull that out of the package and make a nice clean cow call with it it's gonna take a day or two of working with until you can start making the cow sounds on it yeah um, after after you work it in really well and it stops working for bull sounds that thing will last uh last you as a cow call for another year or two nice you just you're just gonna lose that high note nice that's awesome i uh so i recently uh picked up some of your some of your diaphragms too and obviously from harvester outdoors like i was saying earlier and um um i was new to the whole smith game call um world and uh i didn't really know till sean was talking about them and and uh I mean, right away, instantly in my mind was like, boom, Canadian company, I got to get my hands on some of these for sure. And uh, I picked up uh, Lucky 7, Herd Bull, and uh, Challenger Reads. And uh, the Challenger and the Herd Bull are, are my go-to right now. If uh, Oh, awesome. I was going to say, those are the two harder ones out of the group to, to operate, but... I don't know. Well, on, well it, on your way. It was weird, man. It was like because I was messing yeah. around with the with the Lucky Seven and uh, and I I just I was having some trouble um, making it do what I wanted to do. And and like you said, your your calls are a little bit different, and everyone makes their calls a little bit different. So it always takes me like a, a minute to 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 get used to them. And then uh, I started messing around with the other ones, and uh, it was just like they were working for me. So it's just awesome. Sure. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna rephrase that. Not it's not that the herd bull is gonna be the harder one to use because it kind of depends who the caller is. By harder, I mean it would require more air pressure and more tongue pressure as opposed to the cow call, which is gonna require very minimal air pressure and tongue pressure to operate. So it's really hard to tell a new caller which call to buy. That's why it's good to kind of start in the middle somewhere and then try a few out and find where where you land on that spectrum. So new callers either gonna put that in their mouth and barely breathe on it, or they're gonna take on it and they're gonna or take it and put it in and uh, blow way too hard. 
so somewhere in the middle is good to start and if you're one of the people that you know give a lot of tongue pressure and air pressure then the the calls that are on that higher side of the spectrum like the herd pull challenger and locator calls are going to be the ones to use where people who are using minimal air pressure and tongue pressure are going to want to look at some of the cow calls or the universal calls yeah yeah it's interesting too how you like talk about the tongue pressure and the air pressure because like even even on the the herd bull and the challenger i i find myself using too much sometimes and you just don't get the the proper control i find and uh just to be able to make those smooth transition sounds throughout throughout a bugle and stuff like that so really takes okay. practice per call and stuff like that i find find that, that takes sweet spot. Um, if you're uh if you're a new caller and you're making a sound in the first three days of buying one you are well on on the right track I know uh, some people play with them for a couple months before they even make a peep out of the thing. So it's a, it's almost like an instrument. You can't just put it in and use it. You're going to have to learn it and how to manipulate the, the pitches, tones off them as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know Tristan. He was my brother there. He's the other guy on the, on the crew here. He was struggling with, uh, with the diaphragm calls there for a while, and he finally picked it up, and he's loving it. So... Um, Kind of the last thing here before we wrap up is uh, what's uh, what do you got planned for the fall personally, and what uh, what kind of can we can we see coming down the pipe from you out in the field? I know uh, you got some some YouTube content on the go, and obviously a couple Instagram accounts that are active. What uh, what are you going for hunting? I seen uh, I think on your Instagram you said you're heading out for like forty six days of elk season. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> 40, 42 days actually, but it's going to be 42 days consecutive. I'm really excited for this season. We start in five days here. I've got uh, the first the first week, so ending of August. Um, it's just me and my wife going out for early archery. I like to take some of the TV shows we sponsor and give them a hand in early September during archery season. So I might tag along with uh, a couple of the TV shows we sponsor. Um, I'm guiding a client uh, for rifle opener for that week, um, and then kind of nearing the end of September, me and my wife are going to go out to Ganmer. We've got one of two hunt plans. I think we're going to kind of get back into the remote backcountry, take a packable raft, see if we can't get in on anything, and if we do find ourselves successful, then we've got the raft to get out because it's going to be maybe 30, 40 kilometers in. So. It won't be in an area where we can we can pack out without horses, and I don't want to bring horses, so we're gonna try the raft. Man, you're hiking 30, then, <laughs> 30 to 40k back into the into the mountains to go after these things. Yeah, yeah, that's where the big ones are at. I think. Whew. I don't. I don't know. We're, we'll we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what we're looking at doing. <laughs> and oh, then uh, to top her all off, to finish it off, we're uh, gonna be heading down to the East Kootenays again this year. We went last year, so south southern BC with Saddleaxe Outfitters. Uh, we're doing a, a pack-in remote backcountry hunt with them for seven days. Oh, that's awesome, man. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it this year. Last year we went in there, and uh, I missed probably the biggest bull I've ever laid eyes on. Day mm. two of the hunt, and I missed him at 80 yards with the rifle. No! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we got to hear that story before before you leave now now that you got the that's, hooks uh, up there 
you know, it, it was a really fun hunt. Um, I went in for rifle opener on September 10th through the 17th, I believe, were the dates. I'm I'm actually more comfortable with the bow than I am a rifle. I just don't shoot enough, but I brought both with me. I planned on doing a AR tree hunt and having the rifle as a backup for for after I was planning on failing seven times, getting frustrated and pulling the rifle out. But uh, actually, on day two of the hunt, um, we were we were actually glassing, hunting these things, and even glassing them like they were sheep. These elk were hanging out at around seven. 7,700 uh, elevation, and we put a stock on one. Our plan was to go up there, and he was hanging out in this really small t- uh, patch of timber up, up in the rocks. And I decided to leave the bow behind and bring the rifle with me that day, which was a huge mistake. And uh, everything worked according to plan. First time that's ever happened when everything actually goes as you think it's going to go. We got up there, and we were able to call this bowl out of the Timber and he was standing broadside at 80 yards, and I missed three times, no. three shots back to back. Yeah, I I don't know how big he would have scored, but if I were to field judge him, I'd put him in the well into the high 300s. Oh, Never man. did see him again. What do you yeah, think? Uh, a... What do you think happened on on? Uh, was it strictly markmanship, or can you blame a, a bump scope on that one? Or <laughs> what? The... <laughs> I, I wish I could blame a bump scope. I think I'm going to uh, mark it down as marksmanship. Uh, after I got home, I started looking into it a little more about uh, about shooting on those angles and at that distance. And I think it was just, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if I'm zeroed in at 200 yards and I'm also shooting uphill and the elk's at 80 yards, I'm, I'm going to shoot right over his back. So... I was putting the crosshairs where I wanted the bullet to go. Yeah. But that wasn't where the bullet was going. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly, there's some, I don't know what the formula is there, but uh, I know my range finder does it for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, shooting uphill is that because it's the, got the, the gravitational distance is not the same as the, the physical distance. No, it's not. So I've, uh, I've since learned it and learned to take it a little more serious, and I've been kind of practicing more in the in the mountains and the hillsides, and getting better at it. So uh, when I go in this year, just to make the decision easy, I'm going to leave the bow at home, and then I'm not going to bounce it back and forth on which weapon to use. Right, right. I definitely put in the work and put in the practice that I know I'll kind of be a little more accurate this year. Yeah, well, that's a good teachable moment for everybody too, because like I know lots of situations I get myself in, even just whitetail hunting, you know how many times a year does a guy actually practice like shooting off a tree or, you know, dropping to the dirt and shooting off a knee or a pack or whatever it may be. And then like 95% of the rifle shooting I've done is from a bench out of a lead sled for the most part, (laughs) which is completely irrelevant to what's actually happening in the field. So um, I'm getting that muscle memory and getting just knowing what's how to, set up and and what everything's going to feel like is a huge advantage to have when you hit the field for sure especially with the heart pumping it's bow or rifle if you can practice when you're out of breath and huffing and puffing then it's only going to help you especially elk hunting you don't know when you're climbing a hill and you get to the top and there's an elk standing right there you don't have time to catch your breath yeah that was part of the that elk i missed last year too is just climbed a mountain come around the corner did some calling climbed another 40, 50 feet and 
there it was standing broadside and I was uh huffing and puffing trying to catch my breath and I uh I might have rushed the shot too thinking thinking he was gonna take off but he just stood there one, two, three shots and gone. Whew. Damn. Yeah, it was heart heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm still sick. Still sick to my stomach to this day. That's wild. That's insane. I think there's I, I think there's one thing to say too is like uh with anything like rifle, bow or whatever it may be, it's there's a difference between sighting them in and then practicing with them. Um, I'm like the biggest, I'm guilty for it because I sight my rifle in and then think, you know, I can take quite a few different shots because I know my rifle sighted in. But then just like Chase, you referenced and same with you, Steve, is just like the scenario can change so much. I've never shot a deer off a picnic table, so I don't know why I would think that I'm going to shoot, you know, perfectly every time. But it's a good learning curve, and I think everyone needs to learn from it, that's for sure. Yeah, bow, bow and rifle, or yeah, bow and rifle. Good to try a few different things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we're gonna wrap up here right away, Steve. Unless uh, Sheldon, you have anything, or Steve, you got anything you wanna touch on? I think I'm no. good here. I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, if I were to leave your listeners with any kind of elk advice going into this season, it would be to stop worrying about how accurate you're, you sound and uh, pay, a, pay a little closer attention to what you're saying and what each call means and uh, you know feel feel a little more comfortable to get aggressive and don't worry so much about being unheard or being hidden because you know if you're, if you're not moving they won't pick up on you and you can get aggressive and you'll have more encounters. Nice that's a good tip and uh, we've certainly been hearing that from from a few different guys we talk and talking elk with and it's uh, reassuring to hear it from somebody with your skill set and, uh, um, dare I say, professional skill set. And, uh, you know, really reinforces that for us. So um, I'll definitely be taking that to the woods with me this fall. Perfect. Well, I wish you all the luck then. Right on, Steve. Thanks again for joining us and uh, good luck out there this fall. Yeah, good luck and thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, Steve. Well, folks, thanks for listening in to another episode of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. We uh, certainly hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully you uh, had something to take away from that. And if you're looking to help out the podcast here, make sure you give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and a huge one is always the podcast platform that you're listening on. Give us a rating on there. Leave a comment. Let us know what you're doing. And if you have any uh, questions or uh tips or anybody you want us to track down and have a conversation with it's only don't be afraid to send us email reach us out to us on instagram or facebook and uh we're always open to having a conversation with folks so yeah if there's a conversation out there that we're missing i i want to find out and we need to be you know investigating those leads so like she said don't be shy we love chatting to you we love hearing you feedback on the show uh, obviously anything you can do to help support the show in regards to rating us and liking us, that goes a long way in making sure that we can continue to pump out the content for, for everyone at a, at a, you know, a high rate of quality and quantity. Hopefully the highest and continuing to improve. Totally. And don't forget to check out our store on our website, guys, panoramicoutdoors.com. Grab a piece of gear. We'd love to see you wrapped in it and share that with us this fall. Yeah, if you're in the field and you got a piece of our gear on, make sure you take a picture. Make sure you tag us in it. Just love that stuff. 
Absolutely. Well, right on, man. Good luck out there, folks. We hope uh, you're having a great fall so far. And Sheldon always laughs at me for doing this, but I'm going to do it every time. Keep your powder dry. Keep your knife sharp. And shoot straight. Shoot straight.